Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this chilly Saturday. I'm Pam McElvain, your host of The Inclusive Voice. Um, you know what I say, go grab your coffee and actually grab something warm and join us for this great show today. I'm really, as I'm always excited, right? You guys are like, Pam, you're excited every week. Well, I am excited once again because we have another great, great guest to introduce you guys to in terms of you know what's happening in the space of women taking leadership. And what I really um, like around the the guests and the conversation we're going to have today, when you think about, you know, as you know, we do research, uh, Diverse MBA Media um, Research Division, you know, our index talks about um, and we capture the U.S. workforce, you know, which, you know, women are more than half of the workforce. And even though people talk about, you hear employers talk about the great resignation, well, you know, the reality is, you know, whether women are re readjusting or pivoting from working um, in the in the workplace or working at home, it's never ending either way you look at it. But we want to talk about, um, you know, I want to kind of have a focused conversation of why is it taking so long, you know, and what's happening with women in senior leadership positions where we still only make up a third, even though women, particularly white women who have benefited from the, the civil rights movement more than any other group. And, and the suffrage movement, right, was really more, it was about women, but it was predominantly um, accelerating white women. And that, that's who was leading the movement that's at that time, who benefited from the civil rights. And then today, it's the largest and the fastest group that's promoted in corporate America among any groups that happens. So the good news is we have a lens of women that's being advanced in the workplace. The um, unfortunate news is women still aren't, even in predominantly and predominant industries were education and um, financial services and healthcare. <clears throat> Women still are not, while they're the predominant workforce, they're not in the complementary in the C-suite or the senior leadership roles um, as they should be. We've definitely made strides, but you know, we want to talk about why and what we need to be able to do to, to kind of accelerate gender parity. In, in advancing all women of color. So when you think of all women, including women of color, so when I think about parity, um, you know, white women, based on our research, because on an annual basis, we ask more than you know, 400 companies uh, with 6,000 or more employees, how, how fast um, are you advancing women? And you know, white women right now are advancing at a rate to eight to one as it compares to African American women um, and Hispanic women, and you know, five to one as it compares to Asian, um, and three to one as it compares to to black to men of color. So, so yes, they're the fastest group within our diverse group. That's right, is our group of diverse people that are being advanced, but you know, it's not fast enough because there's not enough of them um, at, the, at the table. And the good news with even having, you know, white women represent uh, all of us at the table, if that's a group that white men are most comfortable with, so be it. But their lens is now, has to be broadened to represent us all. And because they're women, and, and now I'm being a little bit uh, biased here, but because they're women, there is a different perspective at the business table. They do bring a broader lens and, and definitely, you know, nurturing when you're in a culture that you're trying to create inclusion and belonging. That's what, you know, we do every day at home when we have the opportunities to. So today, our guest, who's a renowned feminist and author, she's going to help us understand, you know, what opportunities um, are still there? What can we hope to see change in the future? And what, you know, we can do ourselves as women to accelerate our own um, champion 
to the next level. So I, you know, so with that, I'm really, I'm really excited, you guys. It's, it's, we're not, it's not, it's going, it's not going to be a badgering conversation. I don't want you to think that at all, but it is going to be an insightful one to provide you some broader perspectives, inform you of some more information of what we can do to continue the journey of parity and leadership and accelerating women in the workplace. Okay, so with that, stay with me. I am going to introduce you our special guest surprise um, when you come right, we'll be right back after this commercial break. From an industry-leading journal and web publication highlighting professionals and best practices to boot camps and conferences featuring noted and accomplished speakers, Diversity MBA is a driving force in diversity, equity, and inclusion education. But Diversity MBA's education push extends beyond the public realm and into the private sector. Thanks to DMBA, enterprises embarking on their DEI journey have access to training webinars, leadership indexes, and more, all of which can help educate and transform a workforce. Embrace DEI. Diversity MBA can help. Visit www.diversitymbamagazine.com for more information. Welcome back. For those of you just joining me, I'm Pam McElvain, your host of the inclusive voice I have with me. An incredible guest is Gloria Felt. She's the co-founder and president of Take the Lead, um, co-founder, I mean, and president of Take the Lead organization. And we'll talk about more what that is and also an author of this incredible book, Intentioning. The title for most recent book is Intentioning Sex, Power, and Pandemics and How Women Will Take the Lead for Everyone's Good. So welcome, Gloria. We're so happy to have you. Pam, thank you so much for having me. I am excited to be with you today. Thank you. So, you know, it's a little chilly out where we are here in Chicago. And where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from New York today, from New York City, from the middle of Manhattan. Oh, okay. One of my favorite places in this country. Um, So, you know, one of the questions I like to ask my guests every week is, you know, what are you doing these days to keep yourself well, both mentally and physically? How are you, you know, taking self-care? You know, it's, it's it's a fraught question for me right now, Pam, because my life has changed dramatically this year. Uh, my beloved husband of 44 years passed away in July. And, you know, he promised me he was going to be around for at least five more years. And he told me he never lied to me. So um, I'm, 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 I'm trying to be to stay in the in the in the in the sphere of gratefulness for having had 44 incredible really wonderful, loving, exciting, busy, and and years in which we both were able to accomplish many of the things that are near and dear to our hearts. So really what I'm doing right now is to spend a lot of time with friends and family. I'm giving myself the opportunity to explore new things that I didn't have the, the time or opportunity to do previously theater, arts, uh, areas of New York that we never went to. I, so I'm, 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 I'm giving myself some time and space, I guess, as I've never done before. And I, and I feel like that's something that very often women don't do. We often don't give that for, to ourselves because we're so busy taking care of everybody else. So I'm trying to take care of me. And meanwhile, I have a whole lot of money to raise for Take the Lead before the end of the year. We're a nonprofit organization that um, uh, that is very, um, very appreciative and dependent on contributions from individuals and foundations and others and businesses. So this is the time of year when I'm out doing that. And I find that also to be something that is a place of gratitude for me. So I guess gratitude would be my word of the day. Thank you for sharing and my, my condolences to you. And you know what, I would have to say, you know, what a wonderful celebration of, of life that you've enjoyed with your husband of 44 years. Um, I know so much what that's like. I, um, my granny, 94 years, you know, she, she this year in May too. And how we, you know, I thought she was, I thought you were going to be with me a little longer, how selfish we are to want them a little longer, but, um, thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. Um, 
you know, you have this. Oh my goodness, I I I, I feel humbled to be in your presence and um, audience. I just have to share with you guys just a little bit out there that um, Gloria Felt is just this incredible. Uh, leader, not just in that she has take the lead as a nonprofit and what she's doing, but she actually is the former president and CEO of the world's largest reproductive health and advocacy organization, Planned Parenthood Federation of America. And she's been named by every, I mean, Vanity Fair, I mean, Trailblazers, Glamours, Women of the Year, it just goes on and on in terms of her accolades and the work that she's done to to drive change um, for women. And I wanted to share, um, Gloria, that I don't like reading bios, but I wanted to just level set a little bit about who we're talking to today, who we're, you know, we're, we get to grace our presence with, you know, best-selling author of five books, and then here's your your the next latest one. Um, on intentioning, I, I just am elated to hear your story and your journey and to share with others. So thank you again, you know, for this opportunity. But what I, I like to know is, you know, share a little bit with us about your background, you know, where you grew up, what, what led you into this work um, and, you know, prior before you joined Plant Parenthood. Um, give us a little sure. insights on who Gloria is. Absolutely. Yes, Pam. I, uh, I grew up in small Texas towns in an era and in cultures that didn't give women ambitions or intentions for uh, really for education or careers. And I really bought the culture in which I was living. I will say that my parents always assumed I would go to college, uh, would be educated, well-educated, but I think young people tend to absorb the external culture even more than, and often rebel against what their parents tell them. So I, um, I married my high school sweetheart uh, when I was 15. I, we moved off to uh, another slightly larger town, Odessa, Texas. Uh, if you're a Friday night lights fan, I always say I was, um, you know, that was, um, uh, that was kind of the documentary of my life. My children all graduated from Permian High School, and it really is a thing. So I I really bought what the culture was telling me, and I wanted to please. I wanted to be like people wanted me to be. And part of that actually came from the fact that my family was quite different from most of the people in town, and, and that we were in Temple, Texas. We were one of the very few Jewish families, and then in Stanford, where I went to high school uh, in West Texas, we were the only only Jewish family. So I always had this sense of being different. And 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 what okay. does a teenager want? A, a teenager wants to fit in, right? So yes, I did. Yes. yes, I did. Well, anyway, to make a long, what could be a long story short, I had my third child at age 20. I suddenly woke up, realized that there were, I, I needed to think about what, what if I had to support these children? So I started to college. I um, became involved in uh, civil rights organizations, even in West Texas. There were some, believe it or not. And I learned how movements can make a, make a change, how, how people working together, even if they don't have a lot of uh, uh, you know, power, a lot of, I would say, you know, uh, institutional power or money. If you work together, you can make big systemic change. And that oh. was the lesson that really propelled me to the rest of what I did in the rest of my life, which has always been movement building. And in particular, for women to have equal rights, equal place in the world. Oh, what a great story. So I just I'm just going to have to resonate with you a little bit. Well, one of my all time favorite shows that I've seen the series and every version of the movies that came out, Friday Night Lights. <laughs> I, just, I just love it. I love it. I, and, and I am that. I grew up in Stockton, California, small rural town. Very much, I, I can relate to everything that they were going through. That's why I like it so much, everybody. So I can definitely relate to how you grew up in the small town and everything. Can't relate to the three kids at 20, but definitely can relate to all these other things. And, you know, what's so powerful about your story, it is great, right? Because 
you kind of was doing, you know, you married your high school sweetheart and, and you're able to have this family, but you thought about what would happen, which was what a great question. A couple of things, what would happen if I had to take care of the children? And also I appreciate, you know, saying that, you know, I was Jewish, so I, you know, people don't always think when a person that's part of um, a larger society feels different. When can you feel different? And you recognize that, you know, really early and have those experiences um, with that. So where did you, um, you know, and I have to tell you my role model too, three kids and then you go back to college. And get the, <laughs> you definitely, you definitely um, are my role model. But the other thing that you talked about that I can also resonate with, I, I sit on the board right now, one of the largest organizing organization, Gamaliel Foundation. And, and you talked about how movements, and I heard that passion kind of, um, you know, come through your voice. You know, you, you talked about, you know, how movements can make a, a difference. When did you first realize that um, you had power in organizing and bringing people together to drive change and what regardless of the age <laughs> yeah it's, it's an interesting question because i don't think i realized my personal power for quite a long time but what i realized was that that i saw that if you work together with other people who share your concerns and values that together you could make all kinds of, of a change. And, and I also saw, I will, I will tell you this, uh, I, I did notice in, in the civil rights organization that the women were doing all of the frontline work and the men were getting all the credit and the leadership positions. And I thought to myself, hey, wait a minute, if there are civil rights, then women must have them too. And one of the things that I have always, a basic principle that I have always believed is that Racism, sexism, homophobia, anti-Semitism, you name it, they're joined at the head. They're all part of the same uh, thing that, that, the, that society does of making people other. And that we really have to work together to make sure that everybody does have a place. And I, I think that's why I so love the work that you do for inclusion, uh, Pam. It's so, it's, just, it's the most critical thing. And people need to realize that it's the strength of a country. It's the strength of a company. It's the strength of a culture is having that diversity of opinion, of religion, of race, of, you know, everything, gender. Yes. That's really our strength. And I think, I don't think it was any one moment. I think it was just a slow progression of working mm -hmm. with people and, and having that realization. And I love that. Um, and, and I will have to say to you, you know what, I'm right with you to talk about who did the work in the civil rights movement and who got all the credit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and thank you for, you know, shouting that out. And also thank you um, for, uh, for, you know, supporting me. And that's why you're here in the work that we do together in this journey. Um, and that is, you know, and you also said, you know, your power. And I want to talk about that a little bit more when we come back after this commercial break. But, you know, that seems to be, you know, kind of something that most women, regardless of ethnicity, generation, that we don't realize as fast as men do, you know, when our power, when we can soar within our own power. And I'd like to talk a little bit about, you know, why is that, you know, what you've learned from that and um, what some of your insights are. So we'll be right back with you after this commercial break with Gloria Felt. I'm just going to call right now. The be I'm going to give her different titles. Right now, it's the best-selling New York Times author. We'll be right back with us. Keep your finger on the pulse of the diversity, equity, and inclusion movement. Check out diversitymbamagazine.com. As a dedicated news and media focal point for workplaces, professionals, and students, DiversityMBAMagazine.com is chock full of profiles of accomplished professionals in the DEI space, as well as notes of recognition and other newsworthy items. Check out the 2021 50 out front, get the skinny on diversity recruiting, tap into the latest in DEI. Go to DiversityMBAMagazine.com and subscribe for updates. 
And welcome back. I'm here with Gloria Feld and Pam McElvain, your host, The Inclusive Voice. I hope you guys are getting empowered. Get your daughters around the radio show, folks, because we want them to be, you know, feeling good about hearing this conversation and this leader. So, um, Gloria, actually, before we go on, um, I don't want to be remiss because we talked about, we want to talk a little bit about your organization. Uh to take the lead, where can folks go in case they want to, you know, tap in as we're having this conversation uh, to learn more about your organization? You can go to taketheleadwomen.com. We are a nonprofit organization, as you mentioned, Pam. Uh, we did uh, use the .com uh, URL for a couple of reasons when we first started, but if you happen to type in takethelead.women.org, it will also come right to us. Takethelead.women.com, and uh, you can you can there you can find our our uh, award-winning blogs. You can find uh, the courses that we do both online and in person for individuals and for companies. And we have many free opportunities for people to engage with us and also um, opportunities to donate. Yesterday was Giving Tuesday, so I'm really in, in the mindset of asking people to make contributions for the year end. Absolutely. I'm right with you. And and as part of uh, Diversity MBA Foundation, which we support this work, too. So we'll definitely say donate, donate, donate. Go to taketheleadwomen.com or .org and you guys and donate and uh, be informed. So thank you for that. So let's just talk a little bit about, um, you know, about your passion in doing, the, you know, creating uh, you know, take the lead. What what inspired you? What experience inspired you? It was a, it was mm -hmm. a, a confluence of a couple of things, Pam. I really had when I left Planned Parenthood. It was a thirty year it had been a thirty year career, and I thought, well, that's a good round number. I am ready to have a quieter, simpler life, and uh, wow. it didn't quite work out that way. I did want to. I knew I wanted to write books. And one of the books that I wrote is called No Excuses, Nine Ways Women Can Change How We Think About Power. And I wrote that book to find out why, precisely why was it, and you raised the question earlier, Pam, of why is it that we have, we're half of the workforce and yet we are so far from being half of the top leadership. I was astonished to discover that the data was the same across every single sector. It didn't matter what profession or what industry. And I thought, you know, I saw a lot of research that said women had less ambition than men. And I thought to myself, no way, that's not it. It's got to be something else. And I drilled down, I interviewed women. I, I made my own assessment that it has to do with our socialization around power and around intentionality in our lives. And, you know, little boys come out of the womb knowing they own the world because they do. And little girls are still socialized in a way that we're taught yes. to think first about how others feel about us, uh, what we look like. Or there's a justification of all kinds. And that has changed over the years. It's gotten a lot better, but it still happens. And I realized that women have borne the brunt of all of the negative aspects of power. And so very often they would say, even executive women would say, well, power is a bad word. Well, you can't get anything done without using power. So I helped women in that book to reframe power from power over, which is oppressive, to power to, which is generative and creative and innovative and lets you know that there's no finite pie to anything. You don't have to fight over the scraps because there's always more. There's always more and you can innovate, you can create, there's no end to human intelligence, there's no end to love, empathy. These things are things that women are socialized to have. And that's a good thing, as it turns out. It turns out that companies with more women in their top leadership make more money. Hey, we when do. you have a business case, you can you can get a lot farther, right? So yes. I, I realized that we actually have the power. We don't need to be empowered, but we often don't know it. So mm -hmm. I wrote the book, and in it there are there's the transformation of how we think about power. There are nine leadership power tools that are skills and tools that you need and thinking processes. And there is a way to actually create uh, your own action plan. Well, 
people started asking me to teach workshops. And as I taught the workshops, I noticed that women had major breakthroughs and I would hear from them even sometimes years later. And they would say, I took your course and then I got this big promotion. And then I put my hat in the ring for this big job. I would have never thought I could do and on and on and on and on. And so pretty soon I was back into my movement building mode and, uh, and, and, and co-founded Take the Lead. That was eight and a half years ago. And since then, we have reached about a million and a half people with various kinds of programs. But our most immersive training, coaching, role model uh, programs and thought leadership, we, we have been able to uh, focus on about 5,000 women. And we like to do it in cohorts because we find that the secret sauce is for women to really learn how to support each other. And our yes. commitment is to have at least half of women of color in our cohort. And, uh, and that program we call 50 Women Can Change the World in. We do it by sector or industry or profession. And our, our mission, our, our vision, now that we're coming out of the pandemic, is to do 25 of those cohorts in the next three years and really change the, 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 the balance of power in top leadership. Oh, I love it. This is a movement. You're starting another movement. Now I have to get in on this movement with you. This is, this, you said, you say you, you've come out of retirement and not doing it, but this is incredible. I mean, this is phenomenal. And so that means that, oh my goodness, I've got my homework. I thought you know, I only had to read the one book, you know, finishing up the one, but no, I've got to go back and read all the other ones. So. Yeah, read, but, you know, well, and thank you for mentioning, thank you for mentioning uh, Intentioning, which is the book that just came out at the end of last year. And the reason yes. I wrote that is because I realized that once, once we know our power, once we have embraced it, you have to answer the question, the power to what? You know, to what yeah. end do I want to yeah. use that power? What is my intention and what is my biggest, boldest yeah. intention for my life? And so and you know what? Is, oh, all, is really taking the next step. Sorry, didn't mean to. Yeah, no, 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 no. You're right. No, I was, I was getting excited. I needed to wait for you. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> no, you know, and I was going to say, no, no. I was going to say, you know, as you were describing um, in, in taking your power, power to what? I was thinking about Michelle Obama. I was thinking about, you know, what a great example, right, of a woman, you know, just starting when she, you know, went in as a first lady and all this newness to take her power and define it. And, yes. and just, she, just, she no, did. but I'm she saying, used, but it, yeah, go ahead. Power tool number two, define your own terms before someone else defines you. She was brilliant at that. Is brilliant at that. Yeah, I love that. So um, I love that because it's, it is, it is where, you know, it is how we're socialized. And, um, and I was wondering why, you know, why does that continue to happen with us? But you said it, we tell the boys when they, and I have boys, I have all boys and I tell them the minute they, they, they pop out, you are going to be the star. You're going to be not only the rock star, but you can be the president, you, can do, <laughs> you know, but, you know, so with that though, it just, you know, a quick, shift as, as you talk about you know women in, in power and and the fact that you're touching them I love that and giving them the the courage to show up with what's going on today and I'm not trying to get into a political conversation or anything but with what's going on to get today and we see women um, stepping into roles we've never had them there before you know not just uh, and I'm talking all women now across all ethnicities, including white women. And, you know, just and, and of course, the administration is helping that happen. But we are seeing the women, you know, take in, uh, take on more uh, critical roles than they have before. But yet, yet, even even the vice president, right, with Tunnel, even the vice president. But yet we still seem to be in um, this perception, if you will, Gloria, and I don't know if it's, it's true or if it is just perception, but it still seems to be the struggle for us to own our own power. It still seems like even though across the platforms we're showing up in many different ways and in positions that we haven't done before, but it still feels to me that we we haven't um, not sure what the words I want to say, but we haven't like you know we're still we're still holding on. These barriers are still there, and we haven't broken through at the levels that I think we should with the progress that we've made. What are your thoughts about that? 
I think there are several different aspects of it. The first aspect of it is what's in our own head. And when you have been the subject of implicit bias, which all women have, and as you have pointed out, uh, women of color more so uh, than white women, uh, when you have born, when you have been the, you know, the recipient of that kind of implicit bias and judgment on you, you absorb that. We all grow up in the same culture, so we absorb often the negative attitudes about ourselves, or we're afraid. We we get risk averse, and we're afraid to step out because we're afraid people won't like us because we're breaking our gender stereotype. So there, there's data that shows that women just simply value themselves less than men value themselves as a result of that implicit bias and what it does to our heads as women. Women will work 20% longer than men in experiments before they think they have earned their money. I think that's one of the most concrete examples I can give you. You just So the first yeah. thing we have to do is really get clear, get the get the detritus out of our own heads and realize the power that we do have. And that's what we really work on at, at Take the Lead in our programs first and foremost. So number one, we have to value ourselves. Number two, we have to understand that we're dealing with some big systems and that, again, to go back to what I learned from the civil rights movement, we can change systems, but you have to have a, you have to be willing to get together with other people who feel the same way you do. And you have to be willing to have the courage to put those issues out on the table for public discussion. And then you have to have a plan and a strategy to, to utilize your power in order to make that change. And that's a, it's not an instant process. That is something that it takes a while. So number one, clear out our own heads. Number two, understand the principles of how you make big systemic change and be willing to take that on. And then number three, to be persistent, to realize yes. that it's not a, it's not a quick thing and that we all have the responsibility to bring others along with us. It's not, mm. I always say it's about you, but it's not just about you. It's never just That's about right. you. That's right. It's about, it's about who else can you bring along? Who else can you bring up with you? Yeah, that's good. Thank you. I'm, I'm taking notes. You know, I'm I'm, I'm I'm still taking notes, and you know, and I'm trying. I'm trying my best not to say, oh, oh Gloria, can you know, can you be my mentor? <laughs> I, well, I need I, to I'm be still learning. I'm still learning. Okay, we're, then we're gonna have to do some. We're gonna have to do some peer to peer stuff here. But this is good stuff. There you go. Um, so we're going to take a quick commercial break, and then um, we're going to come back. And I and I want to just talk a little bit about that incredible career, that time, some of the lessons you learned, and the and the insights, um, Gloria, you gleaned from uh, your days in Planned Parenthood, and and what changes you actually have seen uh, made. So we'll be right back after this commercial break. Stay with us. You know, grab the daughters. Wives, grab the husbands. This is the conversation everyone should be a part of. We'll be right back. Everyone's talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Let Diversity MBA Media bring you up to speed on the discussion. With benchmarking services that help enterprises gauge and expand the diversity of their workforces, to fresh, insightful, deep dive articles on the Diversity MBA website, CEO Pam Micklevane leverages years of experience and some of the foremost thought leaders on diversity, equity, and inclusion to spread the DEI message and curate content that educates and enlightens. In addition, Diversity MBA Media hosts annual conferences that bring together speakers from all across the DEI spectrum, with thousands of virtual attendees learning industry best practices from a wide range of perspectives. Check out Diversity MBA Media, join the diversity, equity, and inclusion movement, and be a part of the discussion. www.diversitymbamagazine.com Welcome back. Stay tuned. I hope you guys have been sitting down hearing this incredible conversation I am having with the, seed, the a founder and CEO, president of Take the Lead, a nonprofit organization that you can go to takethelead.women.com or takethelead.women.org and just be um, find a resource for everything that you want in developing your leadership skills. 
So um, back to the question, I wanted to find out a little bit what, you know, what are some, some nuggets and some insights that you learned, Gloria, while, you know, really transforming Planned Parenthood and what you saw in three decades um, that you could share with us that you, you think were um, major, major milestones? Sure. And it's not surprising. I think you tapped right into the fact that, of course, many of the leadership lessons I learned came from basically learning on the job and, and easily one of the most complex, um, uh, you know, organizations that uh, here. Hold on. Uh, one of the most complex organizations that that uh, you could possibly try to lead. And uh, the, I think some of the most important things I learned were Number one, you should set the agenda. Don't play, don't play defense, play offense. It's really easy, especially once a movement has won some battles. And I think we saw this in the civil rights movement too. Sometimes the wind kind of goes out of your sails and that passion when you start is not quite as strong. People move on to other causes, but it, it's, you, you, you can try to spend your time defending the gains that you made, but really you have to keep pressing forward because there's always some new thing that needs to be achieved in order to make sure that people have the rights and the access to reproductive health care services that you want them to have if you're leading Planned Parenthood. So always be on the offense, have your own agenda legislatively and, and socially and in terms of service provision. That's number one. Number two is that controversy can be your friend. Often people shy away from controversial issues. And Tam, you said something about not to be political and, you know, life is politics. It's all politics one way or the other. The personal is political, as we say in the feminist movement. And the thing is it that is. that is. actually when people have differences of opinion, that's actually the juicy part of conversations. That's when that's when you yeah. really can, you know, when, when something is controversial, that's when people are paying attention. And that's you get right. to have a really great conversation if you can do it in a, in a, you know, in a reasonable way. And I think sometimes our current society has lost that capability and we need to mm-hmm. Teach people how to be uh, how to disagree without being disagreeable, um, but that's a whole other thing. But I do think that controversy can be your friend. Don't shy away from it. Use it as an opportunity to teach about why you believe what you believe. Use it as an opportunity to learn why other people believe what they believe, and together sometimes you can come up with an even better solution than right side, left side, whatever. You can come up with a better solution than, than perhaps either of you had when you started out. But I think that's how you make big social change is by engaging in that controversy and in those hard conversations. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, let me just, let me just, you know, put it out there. I, you know, I was just being respectful, Gloria, when I said, don't get political. I'm like, hey, let's go there. You know, <laughs> let's talk about it. And, and I do believe in the beauty of conflict, right? Because without innovation, Right. I mean, without conflict, there's no innovation. Right. With, with you know, with, without the that's all we're all trying to say to folks. Let's just accept the differences that folks bring to the table, be it opinion, cultures, experiences, and then see how we can be in a continuum of learning and engaging. And my goodness, of course, some great things are going to come out of it. But if we don't, you know, I mean, my goodness, we, we are, we're in a state of uh, of uh I don't know. I don't know if I want to call it constructive contention, but our our whole system brings in the opinions, whether they're validated or not. You just look at TikTok and our generations that are that are really leaning into into that one. But that's another conversation for another day. So, um, but thank you, but thank you for that. And and you are one of our champions and one of our sheroes for for the work that you have done with Planned Parenthood. You know, um, definitely something. You know that was introduced to me very early and understood the work and was able to volunteer to um, at a younger time. So I'm really appreciative of that. What, what do you um, what do you think about, you know, with the recent Supreme Court decision, you know, that was overturned, um, the impact it would have on women's rights? Um, and not just in America. I think what we do, you know, eventually impacts parts of the world. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, it's it's a terrible, terrible decision. I mean, it's, it is the first time that the Supreme Court has overturned a right that people have had for 50 years and have become accustomed to. And I think most people didn't believe it would ever happen. Um, I knew that it could happen, but it was just hard to get people to understand that, in fact, it, 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 it all depends on who's appointing judges as to how they will ultimately come down on decisions. So you, you have to just you have to know that. I, I, it's, it's, a, it's devastating right now to women's health. Uh, first, first and foremost, it's devastating to women's health in those states where uh, abortion ha- immediately was made illegal almost since uh, the, the moment of conception or the twinkle in the eye, practically. But I think, I think you have to take this again as a, okay, People are paying attention now, and for the first time, reproductive rights and bodily autonomy and the importance of individuals being able to make their own decisions rather than the government making those decisions for us, that now is front and center because it became controversial because of the court's decision. So we need to take the energy of that controversy and use it to propel forward to an even better, stronger jurisprudence and legal basis for reproductive rights. You see, when the court decided Roe, there had been no gender rights cases for them to build it on. So they used the right to privacy. And that would never stand the test of of time when there was opposition. So it's important, I think, to rebuild, to have legislation and ultimately court decisions that grant bodily autonomy and citizens' right to make their own childbearing decisions as a civil right, not just the right to privacy. Right. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Sounds like you sound like the professor there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank, uh, you kind of, you're, you're going to that explanation. Yeah. But, you know, but thank you for that, because that go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, I mean, thank goodness, it seems the youngest generation, the youngest voting generation yeah. understands it. And so we're, they do. we're counting on them to do it. They can do it. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's amazing because we keep seeing things and saying, oh, this is not going to happen in our lifetime. And I I thank you for your honesty, because, you know, your beliefs are my beliefs. I have the same beliefs in terms of what the overturning um, Roe versus Wade, the impact that it's having on the lives. And just, you know, I'm not going to get into this point, but just some of the people that I've talked to and their perspectives. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, you really don't get it. (laughs) You know, And, and how many times. Right. Having to say that. So. um, So thank you for that. But one of the things that um, I will share with you is some of the work that we do in the research. You know, we ask organizations um, a bunch of questions around uh, uh, the intersection of, of diversity, DEI strategy and talent management. And one of the things that companies are trying to do now is get a handle, if you will, on um, gender equity and um, equality as it as it relates to women in their workforce, and 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 so you know a lot of them are defining it differently as they learn about what their own gaps and barriers are uh, in in their organizations, and so I, I mean the the trend, the only trends I can truly. Uh, say that exists is that companies are now leveraging their existing audits that they have and may not have in the past so that they can identify, you know, pay equity, racial inequities, gender inequities and progression. But even with um, the, let's just say the the beginning of the movement of organizations, organizations saying, okay, now we know we're identifying these issues. We know they exist. Um, what's next? <laughs> you know, what do we really need to do? We know what we do ultimately need to do, but what do we really need to do? What What are your thoughts around what you're seeing? Um, with progress towards, you know, gender uh, equality and equity in the workplace? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, there's no one simple answer because there's no one just silver bullet, to be honest with you. It's a lot of hard work and it's a lot of persistence. But I think it still comes back to the basic principles of movement building. 
identifying the other people who share your ferns and making coalition with them, uh, having the courage to have those public conversations, and having the having a strategy then to make the change you think needs to be made and the and the persistence to keep at it until until you until you're successful and no it's not going to be a straight line and you know there'll be there'll always be some setbacks but uh, as, as martin luther king said the moral arc of the universe bends toward justice and i have to believe that and that's one of the things that keeps me going i i believe that we can make that change and even if there are setbacks that we can pick ourselves up and keep moving forward because you know what pam if we don't yeah if we don't then we are doomed so yeah i, I prefer to stay on the optimistic side and 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 uh, and have the you know to me the energy and the positivity comes from actually being in the, in the fight and, and making it happen yeah you know i can imagine can you imagine you know how companies are having the courageous conversations on being authentic around race relations right and bias and all this stuff that's going on what if they shifted i mean i love I, you know i hadn't really thought about this in in terms of continued movement building but what if people shifted to talk about in their their bold and open conversations gender equality <laughs> and equity you in the know, workplace. What that shifted, you know, I mean, now you are, really are going to be in the start of a movement because they're, they're, it's, you're right, it is a lot of hard work and it is very scary, but they are, they are not having those open conversations yet. But eventually, I mean, can you imagine if people started to say, well, you know, thanks for allowing me to be authentic. Now I want to talk about <laughs> what, what, right. what are we doing around gender equality here in, our, in, our, in this organization? Right. I mean, what a, right. what a movement yeah, yeah. that would be. Mm, the next step is always more complicated. It's just, you know, it's going to be more complicated. And yet it isn't. It's still the same thing. And we're all human beings. And we, we, we have to understand that people in power don't relinquish it easily. But we can help them understand why it's to their benefit to open things up and bring in more diversity of all kinds of opinions of the of, of different different perspectives on things and you know the marketplace is very diverse so any organization that is not does not have diverse people and thinking is not going to be successful because it's not going to be able to meet the needs of the marketplace so ultimately i think those economic arguments have to be made and and uh, and and that uh, you know they say that that if women, for example, got equal pay, oh my gosh, what was it like four trillion dollars would be added to our economy in the United wow. States alone? I, I mean, it's it's an economic issue as well as a social justice issue, and that and sometimes will bring in some of the people who have not been willing to open up their say their management teams or or their their organizations in general they haven't been willing to make that to open things up because of their fear of losing power but actually they will have more power if they open up they would, they would. And, and as they say ain't that the truth <laughs> it is so, it is so, I mean, I'm sitting here saying yes, yes. But, you know, we're going to take this last break and we'll be right back with you, you know, from the esteemed professor from Arizona State University who teaches women in leadership and power. So this is just, you know, we just have a treat this morning with Gloria Felt. So stay tuned with us as we, you know, wrap up today's show. We'll be right back. The tech talent war in the U.S. is making it almost impossible for companies to hire and is holding companies back from achieving their important business goals. What is the answer? Go global with Bold Business. We have the reach, experience, and proven methods to help your company access great talent. From recruiting and sourcing to onboarding and post-hiring operations, Bold Business can help businesses tap into a worldwide talent pool and can craft solutions for an enterprise of any size. Go Bold and let Bold Business solve your talent challenges and help your company succeed. Contact at www.boldbusiness.com. Welcome back, and hopefully you're staying tuned with us in this great conversation that we're having about how women will take the lead um, with best-selling author, founder of Take the Lead organization, a nonprofit 
organization that helps women that are empowered in going to the next level. Um, Gloria felt here. So please uh, go to take take the take the lead women, take the lead women.com or take the lead women.org and be able to just a plethora of information and resources for you. So Gloria, thank you so much for this robust conversation. But I, I just have to ask you, ask you about your recent book. I know we talked about intentioning, and we've talked about power, and you also have, um, you know, sex and the pandemics. What were, what were your, what was part of your thinking around the title? Well, I, I did end up putting almost everything I wanted to talk about into it. But I wanted to, <laughs> first of all, first of all, I, I made up the word intentioning because I looked in every thesaurus and dictionary and I couldn't find exactly the word I wanted. So I took the word intention and turned it into an active verb in order to signal that I'm talking about action. I'm not just talking about thinking or wishing or hoping. I'm talking about doing. I want to help people do uh, you have to have the thought first, of course, but ultimately it's about what you do, how, what actions you take. So that's the most important thing. I, I included the word sex because uh, in my editor said, don't you want to say gender? Isn't that a little softer? And I said, no, I don't want to use the word gender because gender is a social construct. And really, it starts up at birth, and that, that construct starts at birth when when people are defined according to their the the sex that they present. And yeah. so, I wanted to just straight out be you know be honest about it. Pandemics. I realized that when I had started writing the book, it was mainly going to focus on the women's stories that I tell when I get into the nine leadership intentioning tools. So, like like the other book, No Excuses, this book also has nine leadership tools in it. But I, I and I wove those around women's stories who are actually demonstrating those leadership skills and tools. But what I realized was you, I couldn't in the face of a pandemic that was disrupting everything in our lives. I could not. I could not not acknowledge it. And I wanted to acknowledge it in a way that would help people know that you, you need to take these disruptions in life and use them as opportunities to think differently and to basically, I mean, you know, we're, this is the moment when we can change big systems because when yes. things are in chaos, that's when people have to be innovative. That's when they have to be creative. That's when they have to let new ideas into their heads. So now is the moment when we can make big systemic changes that we couldn't have made three years ago. So that's basically it. And then finally, I do believe that the world will be a much better place when there is gender parity in leadership, there'll be more sense of balance. We and we know that having more women in leadership, usually companies are more philanthropic. They're more, uh, they're just, you know, uh, women legislators pass more legislation. And there are all kinds of reasons why things will be better. And I think it'll be better for men as well as women because men are boxed into their stereotypes just as much as women are. That's right. And and since women raise men, you know we we are inclusive inherently. That is true. That is true. <laughs> and I'm thinking. And I'm thinking. So thank you for that. And that and it all makes so much sense. And, and it's so powerful. And um, I make up words all the time. So I get you. <laughs> I'm intentioning, um, which which I love. Uh, what advice would you give? Um, to anyone that is looking to join the movement of empowering girls and women, meeting women right where they are? I would advise people to research some of the organizations that are doing this work and then to decide they want to get involved and take the lead, of course. Um, I, we, 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 you know, I mean, there are so many ways that you can get involved. You can be, you can be a mentor, you can be, uh, you can be a funder, you can be a mentor, you can be, um, someone who, you can be a board member, you can be a volunteer. We have a peer to peer fundraising campaign going on right now. So you can make your own little fundraising campaign. There are many different ways that you can get involved. And so I'm making a blatant pitch for take the lead, I love it. but I will also be, be very open to saying if you have a particular niche that that is where your passion is, 
you should do that. And you can always change to something else if you want to. But if you, if it's entrepreneurs you want to help, there are multiple organizations that you can get involved with that, that will give you that opportunity. So whatever it is that you might be, you know, that you might care about, just research it and, and, and offer yourself up. I can't tell you how some of the best volunteers and board members that I've ever had were people who simply picked up the phone and called and said, hey, I want to help. Don't be afraid to do that. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm going to say also, you know, go to take the lead, um, take and latch on to one of those leadership power tools, just one and take it into action with, you know, with reach one to teach one. And so that we can, you know, help this movement and this journey. So my goodness, Gloria, thank you so much. Oh my goodness for this incredible conversation um, with you. We, we appreciate you taking the time um, in, I'm gonna say sunny, warm New York. <laughs> <laughs> but um, thank you so very much for your time this Saturday morning, and um, we hope to to connect again soon. We appreciate you. I I would totally love that, and actually uh, very much uh, open to partnerships because what we know at Take the Lead is we can't do it all ourselves. So the more Absolutely. we can partner with others who have similar goals, the better off we will all be. So I, I, I put that out there and am open to all ideas. Absolutely. Women after my own heart. So thank you all. And we'll be right back with this commercial break and see you all next week. The world is embracing a remote, globalized and diverse workforce. Is your organization prepared when it comes to understanding all the nuances of diversity? Diversity MBA can help. From an industry-leading journal and web publication highlighting professionals and best practices to boot camps and conferences featuring noted and accomplished speakers, Diversity MBA is a driving force in diversity, equity, and inclusion education. Check out diversitymbamagazine.com and take the first step towards transforming your organization. Hello, this is Delana Michelle Elliott, and you're listening to Mind Your Money on the Inclusive Voice. I want to, again, address a topic since we are in our tax season, coming up on the end of the year, it's holiday season, and I would like to address, again, the IRA or the 401k. If you have a sizable balance today in your IRA or 401k, Ed Slot, who is America's IRA expert, is predicting that that could be a ticking tax time bomb. Why? Because you are contributing right now and you may have a sizable 401k or IRA account. Well, those are called tax deferred accounts, which means that you were allowed to contribute to those assets and to, uh, to contribute to those accounts, however, tax deferred which means that you did not pay taxes as the money was going in. So the IRS is knocking on your door and they are going to want their taxes. So what we're doing in our team is we are helping our clients prepare for a tax-free retirement. What does that mean, Delana? Thank you for asking. What that means is we want to help you get those funds out of those IRAs over a longer period of time and take advantage of today's historically low tax rates, which means that as we're moving that money over for you, you're paying taxes at the historically low rates that they are right now. It's been predicted that taxes could double over the next few years. We don't know when. We do know that there is a change coming in 2026 regarding what those marginal tax rates are. We don't know how high they're going to go. Um, we, we've already experienced what the, the um, interest rates have done over time. So oh, we do know that the taxes are most likely going to increase. So if we can help you, and we, by we, I mean your professional financial advisor, consult yours today. If we can help you manage your money now and over a longer period of time 
get those funds out of those IRAs and those 401ks that are now sitting in a tax deferred bucket, then when you turn those assets into income, you will be getting those distributions tax free. Pay your taxes now and then be able to take advantage of the growth and your distributions when you turn those assets into income later, tax free. Okay, so we want to make sure, again, that you have the best tools, the best strategies. This is why we do Mind Your Money on the Inclusive Voice. Again, I am Delana Michelle Elliott. Please reach out to me if you have any further questions or would like a complimentary session to see where you are in your tax position. I'm at womenwithwealth.com. That's womenwithwealth.com. You're listening to Mind Your Money on the Inclusive Voice.